Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back, new dad. Hey, why, thank you. I am a new father as of 11.48 a.m., March 31st, 2022. Congratulations. Thanks, that man. makes your new offspring a... Aries. Aries. And Aries, yeah. Uh, he's a cool little dude. Came out with a full head of hair. I saw that. I'm always impressed by <laughs> a kid that gets a jump start on being like, I think hair sounds great. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It. He's like, right looks like Rob Blagojevich. <laughs> <laughs> A stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. Today we're going to be talking about a few different things. We're going to talk about inflation and we're going to be talking about how uh, the flavors we seek out as humans are um, pretty constant actually uh, throughout the world and also between us and the primates and all of that stuff. It's hardwired, baby. It's hardwired, baby. You like salt, aka you like salt. I like salt. We must be hominids. Yeah, and boy, are we. So without further ado, inflation, it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing we talk about a whole lot. It's with us now. Yeah. And it's quickly moving into the space of, I don't want to hear more about it in the news, but I do want to complain about it. Yes. Because now I'm starting to see its effects everywhere. Look at the pumps. Look how expensive the gases are. Price at the pump. Prices prices are rising. You know what isn't rising price-wise? No, I do not. It's like a can of Arizona iced tea, one of those tall boys. Uh, Sure. It's so confident in its ability to maintain that it actually prints the price right inside. 99 cents. And actually, it has been 99 cents since they started printing it on the side in uh, 1996. So they've been committed to it since then. You like Arizona iced tea, Stephen? I I don't, honestly. Sure. What I think people may not understand if they're below a certain age is like there was a time in the 90s when the most important thing in the world was Snapple commercials. Oh my God, totally. And and some of the most uh, important information in the world was found beneath a Snapple's cap. Yeah. I mean, we were just wild for Snapple for all those wonderful flavors. Kiwi, strawberry. Yeah. And probably some others. I was a kiwi, strawberry man. But Arizona was inspired by that popularity. The owner, a fellow by the name of Don Voltaggio, realized back in the 90s, hey, I need to get in on this sweet, sweet Snapple money. I'm going to start my own thing. Yep. And he called that thing Arizona. Was he from Arizona? Nope. Did he live in Arizona at the time? Nope. No. But why Arizona, Stephen? Well, because his wife had just redone their house and there was this whole kind of like pastel motif, right? And it was very, it it was in the spirit of sort of the Arizona aesthetic. Very Southwestern. Yeah, they they said, screw it, let's go with it. And uh, it's funny because one of the reasons why Arizona iced tea has been able to maintain its cost, one of the reasons, at least as it's provided in this uh, article in the LA Times is because they don't spend a lot of money on marketing because the can itself is the marketing. You see it, you know what it is, and there you go. Yeah. It's a color scheme. Yep. It's it, it jumps right out at you and I'm not going to lie, I'm not mad at it. So here's the story. Uh this came out on April 12th. Despite inflation being as high as it's been in 40 years, the price of an Arizona iced tea remains 99 cents and 
that's regardless of all the other costs related to producing this product going up. Aluminum, sugar, yada, yada, right? And the reason for this is simple. The guy says, I'm not going to raise my prices. Yeah. He consciously put the delicious Arizona iced tea and other fine products into this sort of economic vacuum, refusing to raise the price because he wanted to send a message, I guess, right? That, that you know, all of these other things are very volatile, but we're going to try and keep this thing on the straight and narrow. It's going to be something you can set your watch to, something yeah. you can trust. Yeah, and people certainly trust this product. They get 16% of the ready-to-drink tea market in the U.S. by volume, uh, at least as of 2020. That's second only to PepsiCo and their slate of Lipton, Pure Leaf, and Brisk teas. This <laughs> results in 255 million gallons of this stuff uh, for Angelinos. This would fill up Echo Park Lake 10 times over. So the, the guy's selling a lot of freaking tea. So that's part of the reason, too, why he can have this man of the people attitude towards his prices. Arizona is a privately held company. So Don and his two sons, Spencer and Wesley, run this company, and they are collectively worth $4 billion. Uh, so that means that they're among the thousand richest people in the world. So it's really easy to have this salt of the earth attitude, right, around the price of your iced tea. Yeah, so it is interesting to see this big company run like a small company. We're trying to make our customers happy. We don't owe anything, like you said, to the shareholders. Yeah. So we want to introduce this consistency, and that in and of itself, and here we are, makes it newsworthy, makes yeah. it worth you know, a fairly long involved and interesting article in the Los Angeles Times. Yeah, for sure. They have a little graph in the article where it compares uh, the price of gas to the price of Arizona iced tea. And then the Arizona iced tea line is just flat. It's like, <laughs> no shit. I didn't need an infographic to explain this to me. I sort of, I sort of like that. I like the tongue-in-cheek <laughs> nature of it. They're also using the, the, the colors for that of the Arizona colors. It's a well-reported article, not going to lie. Um, these guys also, they're not worried about the, the price point here either because they know that they have a pretty solid product. And that's because we're hardwired as organisms to want sugar, and they're the guys selling a big old can of it. That's right. It's evolution working in their favor, so they know they've got market capture because we're trapped with these taste buds, Stephen. We have the ones we have. There's mm -hmm. nothing we can do about it. Nothing. Sugar plays a big part of the game, Yep. and so does the desire for deals. Deals. Everybody wants these doorbuster prices. So yeah, there's a lot of research and stuff done about this, like why do we like the taste that we like? kids um, are sort of born with this heightened preference for sweetness. And that doesn't really change until around 14, 16. The reason for this early, basically hardwired proclivity for sweet things is actually also seen in primates because sweet foods are connected to foods that are high in calories, right? This similar tendency towards salty foods is also seen um, in kids because salt is an essential mineral for brain and muscle function. So us humans are hardwired to want sweet and salty things because they help us develop as healthy organisms who are then going to be more likely to live long enough to produce offspring. Conversely, bitter foods are often associated with things that can be harmful to us. And uh, for that reason, it's thought that kids 
babies, etc., don't like bitter things. Now, of course, then this creates something of a problem. Uh, if you want to train your kid to drink IPAs, <laughs> always, always an uphill battle with a kid. Dude, I know. It's like their palate just doesn't understand the complexities of a hazy New England IPA. You know, one of those oh, things yeah. that look like an orange milkshake. God damn it, I'm glad that fat is over. Oh, well, you see all these four-year-olds belly up to the bar at like a <laughs> craft brewery and they're like Ugh, this is no yeah. good this is like, it's like get out of here go yeah. find your own bar yeah they're all mustachioed and they have like a smith shirt on yeah. um, or it's just three of them stacked up in a trench coat <laughs> to try and fool people and the trench coat has that joy division album cover on the back of it dang i would buy that Woo! i'd buy that trench coat all day but so it becomes a problem with kids because you know certain foods are kind of bitter but are also healthy right there was a study that showed children of mothers who ate carrots during breastfeeding, those kids were more likely to enjoy the flavor of carrots later on. Uh, there are other studies that show certain foods effectively flavor the amniotic fluid and can have a similar effect. So we're kind of doing a really broad flyover of like why people like the flavors they do. And part of it's evolutionary Part of it has to do with mother's diet. Another part of it has to do with memory and association with certain foods, both positive and negative. You know, if you get uh, food poisoning off of eating, I don't know, tacos, maybe you can't look at a taco again for many years, etc. That's a sad story. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Imagine a world without these IPAs and tacos. <laughs> I don't like IPAs, but I do like tacos. I've, I've effectively moved away from my IPA phase. And I couldn't be happier about that. Yeah. I get why people like it in that I enjoy spicy foods and mm. peppers. Yeah. And like you always want to sort of up the thing. So I get like the kind of extremism of finding these these foreign flavors. I like spicy food just fine. Um, I enjoy it. Are you one of these people that sees, is spice kind of a macho thing for you? You know, because sometimes people are like, oh, I like spicy food, but it's this like big thing. Like, oh, man, I got to eat spice. Look how much look how much spice I can handle. Well, yeah, I wasn't a sports guy, so I couldn't <laughs> prove my manliness on the field of honor. So I was like, well, I can stick this hot thing in my mouth. Okay. It's a thing. I think in some way, because it's my dad and I, and we both like spicy food, and I certainly picked up an appreciation of it from him. So, yeah. you know, I think you want to keep up with your dad. So there's a there's a masculine correlation there. Yeah. What's funny is I was just home visiting family last week and found an article that I had written for the San Antonio Current back in 2011. Okay. In which I discovered a place in San Antonio called Chunky's Burgers. All right. right? And it's one of these places, got burgers and whatever, and had a challenge called the Four Horsemen Challenge where... It, this was around the time that ghost peppers were suddenly made available on the U.S. market, but nobody was really growing them at that point, so you'd have to order them dried and then hydrate them or whatever. Anyway, so Chunky's offers this challenge, the Four Horsemen thing, which is like ghost pepper, jalapeno, serrano, habanero, a little, I think, squirt of capsaicin extract just to make yep. things a little bit worse. Wow. And it's all very tasty. And in fact, Man vs. Food did an episode uh, where he went up against it. So I wrote a story about the burger, the place, did a little bit of the history of the pepper and how, you know, the pepper evolved in like Bolivia. It evolved this very handy quality of being unpleasant to animals. So you didn't have to worry about mammals, particularly eating them because yeah. it was very unpleasant. But humans are so weird. 
because we take this thing that as mammals we're supposed to not like and we're yeah. like i think we can do something with this yeah not only did we enjoy that proto pepper way back in the day we then started cultivating it yeah. to make larger and more spicy totally. peppers and then it went all over the world from south america it got spread everywhere amazing so the story i wrote was about that but also it was about going with my dad to do the four horsemen challenge oh, I like he that. did the hot burger and i did the one that was one step removed okay and by god he got through it i got through mine it was the hottest thing i've ever eaten yeah was both... it like psychedelically hot yeah oh yeah yeah. It's kind of like a like a trance like experience. It has to be. You have to remove your conscious mind from it because it's intensely unpleasant. And your brain, I mean you can just you can hear the like squish of your valves in your brain releasing dopamine to keep you from going insane basically. So we got through it. It was tough. We did it and I was like everything's going well. But then later on that night, both my dad and I got just the most intense terrifying cramps. And I think I called him, like, curled up oh. in the bathroom, like, I can't move, can you? He's like, no, I can't move. Oh, either. my God. Uh, so it was uh, it was a real experience yeah. to, like, push the limits of what the man can do. And it turns out, as a result of that, that I'm extraordinarily masculine. Yeah. And fairly heroic. Definitely. I like that story, too, because it brought you and your father closer together. You endured a kind of a low-stakes traumatic experience. <laughs> That's what all... <laughs> That's what all rites of passage are. You know? <laughs> we we have so few in our society, yeah. in our modern Western society, that, uh, you know, you got to sort of find these challenges whither you can. I love it. So there you are, you and your pop, seeking out all of these flavors, which by all means should be unholy to our mammalian selves. And ha yeah. you're having the time of your life, right? Yeah. So we like bitter stuff. Well, we used to like the IPAs. We uh, we like spicy stuff. You and your dad, you're out there thrill-seeking with this stuff that that is essentially, you know, anathema to uh, the, you know, billions of years of evolutionary progress. What, what, We've said it back. We've said it back <laughs> you, quite a bit you, you. with that one burger. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those things that I like to read about the evolutionary history of stuff like taste because it reminds us that we are such a weird animal. And I think totally. it gives us some sort of insight into we just really have control over things in a way that can be kind of inspiring. Like we cultivated all of these different plants to do different things, to offer us different flavors, to offer us different health advantages. But it all ultimately goes back to taste, right, which we think of as this really complex thing, but it's really just a way to signal our brains and bodies that, hey, this is something that's good for you. This is something that's not. Um, and there's a really interesting kind of review of taste in the journal Current Biology, which I really like. It's Current Biology. It's like, you want to read this one. It's the most up to date. <laughs> they don't want antique biology. No, not at all. So this is An Evolutionary Perspective on Food and Human Taste by Paul A.S. Breslin. And he kind of just does a trip down evolutionary memory lane, talking about taste with a focus on people, but also with an interesting kind of sidebar on, you know, we all think of taste as this thing we do to have a relationship with food, but he reminds us that taste means different things to different critters, like the Drosophila, the fruit fly. He says taste has a social function. Drosophila males use taste to differentiate between females and males, as well as to recognize mating status and activities of individual females. Hmm. So you can imagine, here's a species that's like, I don't know if this is male or female, unless I lick it. Yeah. And then you get all kind of 
interesting insight. That's that's how you get a call to HR right there. That's exactly right. Yeah. So he also says, for many vertebrates, physical social contact, including Stephen, licking of social non-volatile chemicals from an animal's genitals, urine, sweat, or saliva, serves to help deliver compounds to an organ that essentially processes these social communication chemicals that they can only get that way. So there's a whole thing that's happening with certain animals where they're tasting each other to figure out like what's going on in their heads because they can't communicate. But he also says, well, maybe kissing does that for people in some way, but we don't know. Hmm. The rest of the article is about how taste has evolved in all of these fascinating ways. And it culminates with you and your dad at this Psycho Burgers joint in San Antonio, one-upping each other with ghost peppers and capsaicin. Exactly right. But if you go back and look at apes and you see the kind of things they like, then you sort of get a sense of, of where our tastes come from. So apes like fruit because it's high in vitamin C and it's sweet and that's some free calories. They like leaves because there's also vitamins and necessary roughage in there. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, insects, which I think uh, is potentially handy for us as we move toward a food future in which we need to farm insects and turn that into meal, which is something we talked about in a previous episode. So maybe we can recover that appreciation for insects once we, you know, sex it up a little bit with, I don't know, spicy food or whatever. Hmm. TBD. Um, so my point is, what's old may become new again. Insects, they were good enough for our ancestors, and, you know, maybe we'll find a way to love them again. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a very good chance we may. Yeah. An important takeaway from this review is the point that he makes about how these evolutionary origins continue to influence us today, right? Mm -hmm. He says, all of these benefits of our highly evolved taste system are relevant and necessary to our species today. About 1 billion people are presently experiencing severe food insecurity. A lack of energy and protein and the loss of water and minerals from diarrhea are the top two causes of death in children worldwide. Yeah. So then on the other hand, more and more countries face an obesity epidemic. Quote, in the developed world, obesity is caused in part by the creation of foods that are hyper-appealing. Foods high in salt, glutamate, sugar, and fat. Mm. So what he's talking about is how we're kind of wrestling with these deep evolutionary origins and drives and how they're set against, you know, all of the preferences and things we have, our desire to mess with our environment to give us the stuff we want. And so that, I think, is really what's going on when we're having this conversation about inflation. It's how do we balance the things that we really need versus the things we just think we need? And it turns out it's harder than it seems to figure that stuff out. Yeah, I'll tell you what um, is making it even more difficult for me to figure all this stuff out. What's that, Stephen? It's because I don't really understand what inflation is. Like, I understand the basics of it. I understand that the prices go up etc. But I mean, like, if someone were to ask me to tell them sort of the cliff notes of inflation in like a few minutes, I couldn't really do it. I'm, I'm not, I don't care that I'm admitting that in public, frankly. Well, I think that's extremely brave of you to say that. And also, <laughs> most people are like that because we're not economists. Yeah. So we sort of go, well, gas prices have gone up, so we're pissed off. Sure. Basically, inflation is caused by Money not being worth as much as it used to be. Okay. And that can either be caused by there being too much money in circulation so that the value of the dollar actually decreases. Mm -hmm. And that happens when the Fed 
sets interest rates low so that it's easier for people to borrow. So they spend more and that stimulates the economy. So now more people are buying things. They're investing in large purchases. Like houses and stuff like that and cars. And so mm-hmm. that's, I guess that's the thing that I, when I think about inflation, I think about it like, oh, a dollar isn't worth as much as it was, you know, six months ago. So yeah, yeah kind of like the, the dollar is essentially sort of the shrinking thing. So the Fed has to essentially get in there and adjust the system in some way. And one way to do that is to raise interest rates so that people are going to be less active in the economy. They're going to borrow less. And therefore, these prices are going to equalize in a way. Also, I just want to commend myself for having the courage and the bravery to ask you what inflation was. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like eating a spicy cheeseburger. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to commend myself on attempting to explain it in a way that eh, is hopefully, you know, within a few percentage points of being not totally inaccurate. Definitely. I think this is the part of the program where uh, we celebrate our wins. So when you think about all this volatility, it makes you better understand why that L.A. Times story on Arizona iced tea and its persistent price point was printed. First of all, let's celebrate that alliteration. Okay. Thank you. Was that enough celebration, Stephen, or do you want to do some more? Uh, yeah. All right, we'll do a little more. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to move on. Good. I'm going right, to move on. I'm move on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's celebrating a freak, right? The writer found a story that is this crazy aberration and leaned into talking about it as a way of understanding the inflationary processes that are going on and saying, well, here's a way of defying it and here's what it all means. And that in and of itself is interesting. On the other hand, it does sort of raise the question of, is this the thing we should be focusing on? I mean, if we're looking at all of the things that satisfy our needs as evolved biological creatures, yeah, Arizona iced tea is not one of them. No. I mean, if you If you look at any of the nutrition guides that are out there, you're going to see that in addition to high fructose corn syrup, It's entirely carbs, and those carbs are entirely sugar. I even looked at Arizona's own website to check out their green tea and see kind of how they spin that, you know, and their ingredients are premium brewed green tea, filtered water, et cetera, et cetera, little vitamin C thrown in there, Mm -hmm. no high fructose corn syrup, so that's fine. But in their nutrition facts, there's no way they can hide the fact that of 35 carbohydrates, 34 of those are sugars. Yeah. It does, because it's not soda, it does present, like the whole iced tea thing, it does present as a healthier alternative to soda. It really does. And the branding is such with the floral shit all over it and everything. It's a far cry from sort of another uh, common, more historical metric for determining the health of the economy, which is, of course, the price of a gallon of milk, which is something that, you know, unless you're lactose intolerant, is something that is quite necessary for us. That's right. It's a staple. This is something that a family needs to survive. Yeah. Let's see how its price changes. So yeah, Arizona iced tea is bucking a trend and that made it newsworthy. It also knows that like fast food and soda and all the rest of it, it's basically hijacking our evolved taste because it knows that we're drawn to sugar. There's no surprise there. But you know, if the story had been about how RJ Reynolds, no relation, was not going to raise the price of cigarettes, you might be like, why are we talking about this? This is an inflation story, but it's also one that's maybe not something that we need to 
kind of implicitly encourage. Well, isn't that the weird thing, though, is that it's like sugar in uh, reasonable quantities is fine and great. It makes life, you know, kind of a little bit more worth living. But in two larger quantities, it provides or presents this existential threat to the species as a whole. For sure. Another interesting thing to refer once more to this story about evolution and taste is the author mentions that there's something called superstimuli. There's this ethologist named Nico Tinbergen, and he recognized that if you enhance the sensory properties of already attractive objects, you can generate what's called superstimuli. So the example that's given is if you offer a bird a giant egg, it'll sit on it and sit on it and sit on it and never get off. It's like it's somehow short-circuited its ability to distinguish. It's like, oh, a big egg is better than a small egg. That's that's funny. It's, that's kind of funny that a chicken would be so, like you'd be so enamored of an egg that you would choose to sit on it until you die. That's right. But then Arizona does that by offering us giant cans oh. that in the convenience store we can't say no to. Oh, yeah. I mean, those cans, those are, those are that's a snazzy looking can, man. Yeah, and the relaxing, cool vibes of the Southwest. Yep. You can kind of feel that arid, warm breeze right about 5 p.m. Yeah, yeah. The sun sets over a landscape of saguaro cactus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Focus in. <laughs> On early man. Yeah. Crawling out of the primordial ooze. Yeah. Licking the sweat glands of fellow early humans to figure out kind of what they're thinking about, what they're feeling, what's yeah. going on with them. And then they all establish they want something spicy. Mm-hmm. They want something sweet. Yeah. They want something salty. Want something salty. They want something big and pastel colored. Mm-hmm. They want to, they got to find a bar because they want to get one of those sick-ass IPAs. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> and that's really what we've been talking about today, Stephen, is how we decide what we want and how the systems that have come up around us are fluctuating in how we adapt to them. Yep. Yeah. That's what I think. For sure. The Fed hikes up these interest rates to help us adapt to, you know, things that are happening in the economy to sort of bend the will of human beings. It's weird times. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be like 600 years from now and people are just going to be like basing, you know, a, a new form of calendar around the price of an Arizona iced tea. That's right. They'll stick a can in the sand, and depending on where the shadow is cast by the sun, they're going to know what day it is. (sighs) Well, I'm refreshed. I feel great. I feel I feel refreshed. I feel satiated. Yeah, maybe empty calories, but uh, Stephen, this has been Journos. It has. I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. I am Stephen Jackson. We will see you next time. All right. Journos is produced by Heather Eagle Ears Wilson. If you'd like to talk to us about uh, anything you may have heard in this episode or any past episodes, or you have an idea for a future episode, or you just want to bug me and Brandon for any particular reason, you can reach out to us at journos at journos.net. We'd love to hear from you. We really would. <laughs>